Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside, told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, this is Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up on today's program, a follow-up actually to a segment from last week. Now, you might recall the conversation about a new startup called Mighty Law. And I spoke with Josh Warden. He's a co-founder about the low-cost legal representation the company was offering. We've realigned the incentives of that personal injury firm to make sure that they're much closer to the incentives of a client. But as part of its campaigning and advertising, Mighty Law is also accusing so-called billboard attorneys of deceptive practices. Well, today we'll hear from an Atlanta-based personal injury attorney, Daryl Champion. Excuse me, Daryl Champion. He will have a rebuttal, so to speak. Also, an update to the RICO cases against Atlanta-based artist Young Thug and others allegedly involved in street gang activity. All that's coming up. But first this, Georgia Governor Brian Kemp's legal team argued today that Kemp should be exempt from testifying before the special grand jury. Of course, this is into possible election interference in the 2020 presidential results here in Georgia. Now, among their arguments, attorneys Brian McAvoy and Donald Wakeford told Fulton County Superior Judge Robert McBurney that the timing of the investigation would have a political impact due to the upcoming midterm elections. I mean, Your Honor is well aware of where we are, what state we're in, what race uh, we're facing, and you know the governor ought not have to suffer political consequences for invoking a, a legal right. I think the district attorney's office would agree with that. However, they don't. Arguing against that was Fulton County Prosecutor Nathan Wade. Now, he told Judge McBurney one of Kemp's attorneys was attempting to control the terms of any questioning by the district attorney's office. What really broke down the conversation was within the email, Mr. McAvoy says that the only way that that interview would take place, the only way that a voluntary interview would take place is if we didn't record it. Well, our intent was to record it so that the special purpose grand jury could see and hear for themselves what the testimony was. And there's still a lot more to cover. WAB News will continue to follow all the legal maneuverings regarding this special grand jury. Now, in related news, the saga continues over when and how U.S. Senator Lindsey Graham has to appear for that special grand jury. The South Carolina politician is fighting his subpoena. Over the weekend, an appeals court delayed an order for him to appear until a judge can sort out whether certain types of questions should be off limits. In a new filing, Graham says the grand jury shouldn't be allowed to ask him on any of the topics they want to talk about. Prosecutors want to know more about efforts by former President Donald Trump and his allies, of course, to reverse the 2020 election results here in Georgia. And that includes calls Graham made to Georgia's Secretary of State and the office. Now, parents of students attending Midtown High School in Atlanta could be excused today and not get in trouble. A message sent to parents from Midtown High School principal Dr. Betsy Bachman read in part, quote, investigators worked throughout the night to determine the source of the threat at Midtown High School. Thanks to help from APD and the FBI, they were able to gather a lot of information. The investigation continues. Our student support staff, our student support staff is available to talk to students if needed. This is stressful for everyone, students and faculty members. We will strive to have as normal a day as possible. Close quote. Closer look contacted the Atlanta Public Schools for an update. A spokesperson said no one was available at the time of this broadcast, but did add, quote, Atlanta Public Schools police are continuing to investigate a threat made on social media against Midtown High School students on Wednesday night. Parents were notified immediately. Extra security was present at Midtown for student and staff arriving this morning. Emotional support personnel are present at the school today to meet with students and staff if needed, and the day is progressing normally, close quote. 
Well, Georgia is now reporting a total of three confirmed cases of monkeypox in children and an overall rise in cases in the state. Jess Mador has more. The latest Department of Public Health numbers show Georgia with more than 1,200 confirmed cases. Almost all continue to be among men. But the state also saw two new pediatric cases this week. A spokesperson for DPH says one is in metro Atlanta and the other is outside the metro area. Nationally, the U.S. is reporting just under 16,000 cases. Monkeypox spreads through direct physical contact. To curb its spread among children and school staff, the Atlanta-based CDC recommends regular hand-washing and cleaning, as well as testing anyone with symptoms and isolating people who test positive until the telltale monkeypox rash heals. That typically happens within four weeks. Jess Mador, WABE News. The chamber that represents Atlanta's business community says it's trying to recruit a new generation of poll workers, as we hear from Lily Oppenheimer. The Metro Atlanta Chamber has relaunched a site where people can sign up to work the polls ahead of this November. And it's putting a lot of weight on the fact that all Georgia citizens aged 16 and older are eligible. Thousands are needed to staff precincts during early voting in October and on Election Day, November 8th. Those who sign up at georgiapollworker.com will be connected with the Board of Elections in their home county. The chamber says they're especially pushing for younger tech-savvy workers to help manage the state's relatively new electronic voting machines. Lily Oppenheimer, WABE News. Supporters of solar power in Georgia are praising the recent passing of the Inflation Reduction Act. Molly Samuel reports last week's federal climate and health bill includes tax incentives for solar manufacturing. A measure that Georgia's U.S. Senator John Ossoff introduced is included in the big federal budget bill. It incentivizes companies to manufacture more components in the U.S. for solar panels. This is going to boost our domestic manufacturing of solar products and solar technology. Ossoff joined officials from Georgia's solar industry in Piedmont Park this week to celebrate the bill passing and the expected growth for the industry here. This is a national security issue. This is about American energy independence, uh, and this is about good-paying American jobs. That could include jobs at the largest solar panel plant in the Western Hemisphere, Q-Cells in Dalton. Scott Moskowitz is the head of public affairs at Q-Cells. He says the country has been dependent on imported products for solar manufacturing. This bill changes that. It changes that because it's going to encourage investment, It's going to encourage innovation and it's going to encourage scale. That's on the manufacturing side. When it comes to using those panels, Jeanette Gare with the group Environment Georgia says she hopes a lot more people and businesses will be able to tap into solar power. Georgia utilities spend close to $19 billion a year on coal, natural gas and petroleum to generate electricity. That's money sent out of state that Gare says she'd rather see spent here. By putting solar on roofs, by putting solar in fields. Georgia has seen a lot of growth in solar. Most of that has been in utility-scale solar farms. Later this year, state officials will consider expanding a program that makes rooftop solar more affordable for homes and businesses. Molly Samuel, WABE News. And finally... Global Awards Ceremony to exclusively celebrate jazz music is coming to Atlanta this fall. Well, the Atlanta area this fall. The inaugural Jazz Music Awards celebrating the spirit of jazz will bestow honorary awards to six recipients, including the incomparable composer and saxophonist Wayne Shorter. There's also eight competitive award categories. This is new, first of its kind. The Jazz Awards are being produced by our fellow NPR station, WCLK, down the road there, and will take place October 22nd at Cobb Energy Performing Arts Center. This should be pretty cool. By the way, Footprints by Wayne Shorter is a classic. This is Closer Look. We're back in a moment. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. 
The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. And Closer Look continues from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Personal injury lawsuits are the most common type of lawsuits in the United States. That's what I've been reading. However, depending on whom you ask, there's really no way to calculate the average settle amount because that will vary from case to case. But what is clear is this. There is no shortage of personal injury attorneys, and they tend to make very cool and creative commercials. But you may recall last week a conversation about a new startup called Mighty Law. Now, I spoke with Josh Warden. He's a co-founder about this low-cost legal representation the company was offering. We've realigned the incentives of that personal injury firm to make sure that they're much closer to the incentives of a client. But as part of its campaigning and advertising, Mighty Law was accusing so-called quote, billboard attorneys of deceptive practices. And I asked Josh about that claim. I know a lot of really, really good people who are personal injury lawyers. Uh, It's not that they're bad people. It's that they have bad incentives. And the incentives that personal injury lawyers have are not aligned with the incentives of their client. And one of the things that's important in any system is to realign incentives. There's a very famous Charlie Munger quote, who was a Warren Buffett's a right-hand uh, person saying, uh, show me the incentive and I'll show you the action. I don't think it is fair to categorize uh, personal injury lawyers as as bad people. They're, they're not. Mm-hmm. I do think it's fair, uh, absolutely, to categorize personal injury lawyers generally as having incentives that are misaligned with their clients. And that, I think, is really what we are fighting against. Hmm. Well, of course, there's another view, and time now for a different perspective. Joining the program is Dunwoody-based Georgia personal injury personal injury attorney, Daryl. Daryl Champion. What was the program? I appreciate it. I keep wanting to call you Daryl, but it's Daryl like Carl. It's like Carl, but with a D, as I tell people. And I'm I'm actually based in Marietta. Oh, Marietta. Okay. Well, they kind of close. No, they're not close. I won't even try to spin that. Our apologies. There's not, not not, not that there's anything wrong with Dunwoody. (laughs) There you go. Uh, Let's, uh, Attorney Champion, let's begin here. How long have you been practicing law? So I have been a licensed attorney for 15 years, and I've been exclusively representing plaintiffs in personal injury cases for the last 12. Uh, For eight of those years, the last eight, I have had my own firm, uh, the Champion Firm, and we exclusively represent clients in personal injury cases. Let me get get your thoughts on this. Um, When you first heard about Mighty Law and you reviewed it and checked it out, what, what were your thoughts? So I had a lot of thoughts. I mean, the first is, I think, anytime somebody comes into uh, an industry and professes to be an expert on something, we should naturally be suspect about that, particularly when they're not actually a personal injury attorney. Mm -hmm. Um, I handle medical malpractice cases. I don't go around pretending that I'm a doctor just because I'm exposed to the medical community. So that was kind of one concern that I had. The other is, I'm always apprehensive when I hear somebody paint with a broad brush. Mm -hmm. And I think you hit the nail on the head with uh, the interview with Josh when you asked him, aren't you painting with a broad brush? And he is, Um, you know, I don't, there's, there's bad actors in the medical field, finance, business, whatever. And to paint everybody as bad um, is misleading. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of good lawyers, um, personal injury lawyers. And I just want to clarify, he uses the term billboard lawyers. Mm -hmm. I'm not a quote billboard lawyer. I don't advertise on billboards, radio, or TV. Uh, You know, we have a website, we do digital marketing, but I'm not even in the group of people that he was trying to create this caricature of. And I was quite frankly offended by it. Mm -hmm. And the reason why is I think it does a disservice to the clients because everything he said was misleading. It was coming from somebody who really wasn't informed. And I think it's it's bad for the client. And I think the service that Mighty is touting is going to be bad for the client as well. Why do you say that the service will be bad? I mean, I understand about the, the, the accusations, and we'll dig into that a little bit deeper, but the services they're providing, how is that different? Because they're offering just a, a lower, in a sense, a, a different process in terms of folks don't have to sign anything until you know they feel comfortable. Let's dig yeah. into that a little bit further. Sure. So there's a few things. One, Mighty's not really doing anything different than the vast majority of personal injury firms do. Mm -hmm. I don't know if 
that's coming from if if they're misrepresenting things because they're being opportunistic or if they just are misinformed. A lot of firms do the things that they're doing. Um, Mighty's attorney's fee rate of 30% versus a third, which is mo what most firms charge, um, really isn't that significant of a difference. In fact, Mighty Law charges more for litigation than I do. Their fee goes up to 36%. Mine stays at 33%. So they're not really doing anything different. But in terms of the service being bad, the problem I have is they're confusing cost with value. And one of the first things that my parents taught me growing up was you get what you pay for. And that's especially true in any professional services industry. And so to make it appear to the client that they need to be bargain shopping on something as significant as a personal injury lawyer, particularly if they have a life-changing injury, is problematic. And when I look at Mighty's business model, it has all the markings of a settlement mill. And a settlement mill is basically a high volume law firm that mm -hmm. prioritizes settlements above all else. It's not really willing to fight for the clients and get them the best possible result. If there is one criticism of the personal injury industry, I think it is the prevalence of those settlement mills. And so Mighty doesn't even acknowledge that that's a problem in our industry. Back and in up. fact, they come in and actually contribute to the problem by just being one of them. Well, turn champion, let's back up for a moment because I can, uh, someone listening, I can understand saying, well, wait a minute. When I seek a, a personal injury attorney, odds are I'm seeking a settlement. I'm not really looking to go to trial, correct? I want a settlement, right? So what's the difference right. in whether you're seeking the settlement or someone from Mighty Law? I want you to dissect that. I 100% agree with that. The vast majority of cases settle. And so what I always tell people is you need a lawyer who is negotiating a settlement for you in the shadow of the courthouse not in the shadow of a conference room. You know, Mighty's managing attorney is in Connecticut. Who's gonna have more sway? Somebody that knows you have a local Georgia attorney who has trial experience and is willing to go to court if you don't get a fair settlement or somebody that's sitting in a conference room in Connecticut? You know, that's a big difference. And you could apply it to any uh, practice of law. You know, look at criminal defense attorneys. The vast majority of criminal cases plead out, but the prosecutors know the good criminal defense lawyers and the ones that are willing to take cases to trial and their clients are gonna get better deals. It's the same thing in the personal injury world. If you have an attorney who one, knows how to properly value cases and is willing to actually fight for you and to do what's necessary, you're gonna get a much better result than a settlement mill firm that is just shuffling some papers around for you. Now, when we were speaking with Josh and he said that he had tried to debate someone uh, to go one-on-one -on -one with this, you all actually had a debate of sorts just yesterday. You had almost 500 people watching this, so, you know, good for you. Because when I do something on YouTube, I get maybe a couple folks. But I want to play a little clip of this. Do you think that large cases are typically more profitable for personal injury firms? And if you do agree, believe that, do you think that consumers should be negotiating more with personal injury lawyers when they have them? Sure. So I'm, I'm happy to answer that question. I mean, like a lot of things, it's not going to be something that can easily be answered with, you know, a soundbite. I think, you know, when we look at a case that comes in, first of all, we don't know when a case comes in, if it's a $2 million case, you know, the person could be, it could be a, a fatal car wreck. And we don't know if there's going to be 25,000 in coverage, a hundred thousand, a million or more. Um, you know, the Marta case that I settled for $17 million is a good example. You know, my client was an, empl uh, an employee of a contractor, but that naturally raises potential exclusive remedy defenses under the Workers' Compensation Act. And those were not an issue for the first uh, two years of the litigation. And so the more that we pushed to maximize the value of the case, you know, additional lawyers came into the case. At one point, I was dealing with six law firms on the other side, um, and, and my risk went up, too. So, you know, I would sort of push back on the idea that that when something happens right away, that they immediately know what it's worth. You know, I, I just think that in the vast majority of cases, we just don't know. Now, let's uh, dissect the for our listeners. And you said, look, you know, your risk goes up because now you're up against other attorneys, more folks coming into litigation. Th that is an argument that it appeared you were making that's someone going with mighty law might not get that benefit from their representation. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think that's an important point. What led to the debate with Josh and I did take him up on it. I think the reason that a lot of people didn't want to debate him was they thought he was just using this as an attention grab. 
And that may well be, but ultimately I think if there is a vacuum and we don't have somebody speaking out on behalf of, of our industry, um, he's gonna control the narrative. And so what led to that was this idea that the val as the value of a case goes up, the less work is involved or that you don't have to work as hard. Mm -hmm. And that to me, I think underscores my fear that this is a settlement bill because they don't know what it takes. Insurance companies offer clients a certain amount of money. It might be 50% of the value of a case without much of a fight. The amount of work it takes to continue to increase the value of the case goes up exponentially. And, and I can give you an example from that case. Mm -hmm. The offer early on was $3 million. To get it from $3 million to $17 million didn't take five to six times the amount of work. It probably took 30 to 40 times the amount of work. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think there is a misconception on Mighty Law's part about that. And, you know, the other thing that I want to mention, because I, I think what's really been the storyline about Mighty Law that, that they've been pushing is that there's been this revolt in the industry because they're just trying to shine a light on it. And so that just shows that we have something to hide. What do you mean a revolt it, in the industry? So one of the things he said on Twitter is he has this tweet where he says, it's unbelievable the amount of outrage we've gotten just because we're trying to be more transparent and do things the right way. And on your show, he also talked about that. He talked about, well, there's there's lawyers who um, went on social media and said they weren't going to allow their clients to treat with medical providers that used Mighty Law software. He said there were billboard for uh, companies that wouldn't rent them billboards. Yes, and so the, the problem wasn't that Mighty Law came in and said we're doing things different. Again, they're not really doing anything different. And there are lower cost options out there, even lower than Mighty. The problem is... Mighty came in and dumped on an entire industry and basically called us all, uh, you know, whether he calls us corrupt or misaligned incentives, he said, we're not doing things the right way. And he knows how to fix it. Well, naturally, that is going to create a response. The other concern that people have had is Mighty actually got its start in the industry by creating a software platform that links uh, law firms with medical providers that treat their clients on a lien, which is without upfront payment, they get paid out of the settlement, and pre-settlement loan companies. And so the concern on the part of a lot of lawyers was Mighty now has access to my client's medical records. They're now my direct competitor. They're talking about how I'm doing things wrong and they want me to continue being their customer. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think there was a misrepresentation on Mighty's part as to what really led to the backlash. It wasn't that Mighty's doing anything different, because again, they're not. It's because of the way they went about it in attacking the industry. In attacking the industry and attacking so-called billboard attorneys or, or other personal injury attorneys like yourself. Uh, how would you assess then that debate you all had on YouTube then? Was it helpful at all? I mean, why did you want to debate him? I mean, I know... Coming on this program, it makes sense, obviously. Sure. Well, you know, for me, I can't help myself. I mean, I'm a lawyer. <laughs> I, I like. To I argue, get like that right? too. <laughs> uh, that's you know, growing up, that's why my my parents and my sisters told me that I was going to go to law school because I like to argue. And you know, for me, you know, I didn't see the harm in it. Um, you know, I think it's important again that that somebody en engage somebody with a different perspective. Um, and I think the debate, to me, it showed that they don't really know what they're doing. And I'll give you a perfect example. He said on your radio show, and he repeated this in our debate yesterday, mm -hmm. that personal injury cases are getting easier and easier to resolve. Mm -hmm. That is 100% false. Personal injury cases are getting harder and harder to resolve. They've gotten harder from the time I started being a, a personal injury lawyer to the present. And when I talk to lawyers, there's, there's an attorney that rents space for me in my building that's been an attorney for 30 years and is also a mediator who helps try to resolve personal injury disputes. He said it has never been harder than it is right now. And I think that is a naive viewpoint that Mighty Law has that you can come in and have a lawyer who just submits some settlement papers, you plug in some data into a computer, and then boom, you get a fair settlement. That's not the way it works. Let me ask you as attorney champion, within, within your industry though, are there some things that are concerning of you, concerning to you? about sure so you know i touched on one of them the settlement mills um and and that's where i get to mighty law is one of them i think it's important to note though and this is an issue with uh, another problem i have in the industry is advertising messaging so mm -hmm. i don't advertise through traditional media as i said before but um i also think it's important to point out i'm not i don't have any issues with firms that want to structure their business model that way and advertise 
I do think that some firms can do a better job at their advertising messaging. Um, and I think it's important to allow customers to make decisions based on factors that really matter. You know, being, uh, you know, for example, somebody being the largest law firm, that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to get you a better result or that mm -hmm. they're going to be a better law firm. You know, having the most social media followers doesn't mean that you're a better lawyer. Um, there's messaging and factors that people put out there that aren't helpful to the consumer. Um, I think the ones where you see cash flowing on a billboard and dropping down from the sky, that you don't paints like that? our industry in a bad light. <laughs> you don't like that it, attorney it champion? Look greedy. <laughs> it, it makes us look greedy. And, you know, I like to, you know, when I have uh, trials and I go into court and we're doing jury selection, inevitably, uh, prospective jurors raise their hands when I start talking to them about their viewpoints on personal injury lawyers. And I'm fighting an uphill battle from the beginning because of some of the advertising messaging that is out there. Now, I have a question from someone on Twitter, and I'm just going to read it because I don't quite understand it. But, you know, I'm, I'm not a very smart person. So it says, Rose, what is his characterization of the plaintiff bar and medical costs via providers? If your bill for CHIRP, et cetera, is 24K, how is it then rendered down to 8K, where the costs false prior to settlement statement. I have no idea what that means. I think you do. I'm not exactly sure what the question is asked. <laughs> I, I think they're asking about medical costs and how they may get reduced at the time of settlement. Sure. And, and let me give you an example. So if I have a case where maybe there's only $25,000 in policy limits, th that's the minimum required in Georgia. And I have a client who has to go to the hospital and then they need some follow-up treatment. And they don't have health insurance. Mm -hmm. So they owe the full amount of their medical bills back. And maybe it's $20,000. Those providers will work with the attorney to reduce the bill so that we can put more money in our client's pocket. So although originally the bill was higher, they will do what they need to do um, through us negotiating with them to try and get the case resolved. Because ultimately, you know, despite what Mighty Law says, our number one goal as personal injury lawyers is to get our clients the best possible result. Our incentives are absolutely 100 aligned with the client. When I asked you if there was anything else that was concerning uh, about your industry in terms of personal injury uh, attorneys, and, and I know a lot of them, and obviously you do too as well. Um, can you understand though, someone listening saying, you know, when the, I, I feel like I have a claim. And I'm, I've got so many people coming at me. I don't know what to ask when I'm meeting mm -hmm. with a, a personal injury attorney, you know? Sure. And, and can you so, take this time and, 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 you know, not that you're advertising for your firm, but can you just take a few moments and just give through your lens what people should be looking for? Because just because you hear so-and-so, so-and-so, and they're on all the commercials, and like you said, they have billboards, you're saying, doesn't necessarily mean they're going to get you a bigger amount. Sure. So I, I actually do. And I know this isn't the time for me to plug my law firm. No, I it's do not. Have a guide. I do have a guide <laughs> for... Uh, for how to pick a personal injury attorney. And so I think it's important to one, if you get contacted or solicited by a personal injury attorney, that's illegal. It's not only unethical, it's actually against the law. So mm -hmm. that's another criticism I have of the industry. The majority of firms don't do that, but there are some who do. So if somebody gets in a car wreck and they start getting calls from a personal injury attorney, run the other way, okay? So that's that's number one. You should absolutely avoid those, those firms. Um, in terms of meeting with lawyers and, and the questions you should ask, one, I think it's important to, to identify a lawyer who specializes in personal injury, mm -hmm. avoid the jack of all trades who, who tries to do every practice area. Um, I think it's ask for referrals, read their reviews online, um, read their, uh, go to their website, do your own due diligence, read their case results. You know, we, we've had uh, a lot of clients who, who tell us that that's important for them is when they either watch our video testimonials of clients or read reviews. Uh, look at case results. Has the lawyer handled cases similar to mine? What kinds of results have they gotten? So if it's a catastrophic injury case or a wrongful death case, have they handled those types of cases? Mm -hmm. um, th there's all sorts of things that, that people can do. I think one of the things that makes it so challenging though is there's so much noise in the industry. There's yeah. so much advertising. I, I listened to FM radio for a week last week. Uh, oh, my goodness. And I know where you're going. Listen. I mean, there's five or six attorney ads in a 20 minute time period. <laughs> and all the while on my dash, there's a name of another attorney who's sponsored the dash, whose name is on there. <laughs> hey, and, man, and they got to like, make a living. <laughs> it's but it, it, it's it's again, I don't have a problem with attorneys structuring their business a certain sure. way. 
but it does create challenges for the consumer in how do I know which one of these attorneys is the right attorney? And I think it comes back to doing your research. And that's one of the great things about the internet um, is you, you're not just going back like you would in the old days and looking at yellow pages. You can do research and read more about the attorney. So you, I think it's very helpful to take the time to do that. All right. We always appreciate and we should give time for a different perspective. Joining me on the program, Marietta Base, personal injury attorney, Daryl, Daryl Champion. Thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Good information. Thank you, And Rose. if you do decide to make a very creative commercial, we got some beats here. Producer Daniel. <laughs> You know, he's my he's my beat maker. He's got some pretty nice beats for you, so you never know. Yeah, turn turn my last name into a slogan and we may have a deal. <laughs> All right. I appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so much. All right, thank you, Rose. Take care. All right. Closer Look continues from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. In just a moment, we'll get an update regarding some more legal news regarding Atlanta-based rappers Young Thug and Gunna. Now, but first, let's head to our heat series from WABE News. The Army's heat center in Georgia helps prevent soldiers from getting sick or dying. And as Emily Jones reports, as temperatures keep rising, the Fort Benning program is helping other branches of the military cope with the heat. This company of soldiers is spending three weeks in the brutal August heat at Fort Benning near Columbus, training to parachute out of planes. They're jogging in head-to-toe, long-sleeve camouflage, and their instructors are watching for heat stroke. One of the first signs and symptoms we'll see on foot marches and runs, medically we call it ataxia. It's lack of muscular coordination. Lieutenant Colonel Dave DeGroot directs the Army Heat Center. The way I describe it to drill sergeants, uh, baby deer legs wobbling all over. When this happens, a drill sergeant stops the soldier, gets them out of that hot uniform, and wraps them in sheets soaked in ice water. To the best of my knowledge, every single time that's done right, the heat stroke casualty lives. Fort Benning has always dealt with heat. Before the heat center was established in 2019, this post had the most heat injuries anywhere in the military, which made it an ideal place to study how to treat and prevent those injuries. Now, the heat center shares expertise with other branches of the military because so many bases are in the hottest parts of the country, and climate change is making it hotter everywhere. One best practice they've found? Careful pacing on timed marches. If soldiers keep falling behind, pull them off the course. Those are the individuals who then, oh, there's a mile left. Oh, I'm going to fail. And they're going to dig deep and they're going to sprint and they're going to collapse. And setting a maximum pace can keep faster soldiers from going too hard in the heat. This can be a big adjustment in the Army's culture of achievement. But DeGroote says the shift is essential because today's training shouldn't keep a soldier from training tomorrow. Emily Jones, WABE News, Fort Benning. And this story is part of a partnership with Grist.org. And also to find out more about our heat series from our WABE newsroom, just head to WABE.org heat. Closer look from WABE in Atlanta continues. I'm Rose Scott. It was months ago. Atlanta-based rappers Young Thug, real name Jeffrey Williams, and Gunna, real name Sergio Kitchens, as well as others, were indicted on alleged street gang activity and allegedly violating RICO laws. At the core is alleged criminal activity by members, all being members of the Young Slime Life Gang. Now, both Young Thug and Gunna were denied bond, but so much continues to unfold Journalist George Cheedy has been following and reporting on this, and he joins me now with an update. George, welcome. Hey, good to talk to you. Let's give a, a Cliff Notes version of how all this started for our listeners who may not be familiar. Let's back up a little. Uh, what are authorities alleging here as it relates to the artists Young Thug and Gunna? So there's a lot going on here. Like Young Thug, who's a, a rapper in Atlanta and of some note, um, as, as is Gunna. Uh, Gunna's real name is Sergio Kitchens, and Young Thug is is Jeffrey Williams. Right. Um, they're accused of 
uh, well, Young Thug is accused of running a street gang in South Atlanta called Young Slime Life. Um, and that street gang is accused of, among other things, several murders, mm-hmm. um, along with drug possession and guns and uh, acts of violence. Um, the uh, Williams was arrested at his house with a couple of the other members of Young Slime Life, which I have to say is also the name of uh, the record label that uh, Young Thug uh, promotes himself and his other rappers with. Um, so he was caught at his house with uh, a bunch of uh, promethazine syrup and guns, uh, including one that had been um, modified for automatic fire, a handgun, a Glock, that had something called a switch um, installed on it that allows it to fire automatically. Like, of all of the things that are going on, that's the one that I'm watching most closely because it's a very difficult charge to walk away from. Mm -hmm. Now, that is Young Thug. Let's talk about Gunner here because he only was hit with one charge. Is that correct? So initially, yes, although I am wondering if there's going to be more coming. Mm -hmm. Um, Prosecutors at his bond hearing alleged that he had been, and I'm going to say, like, involved. That was the word they used with um, a murder in South Fulton associated with a different South Fulton street gang. Mm -hmm. Um, The thing is, like, I've seen nothing about this in any other court documents or discussion. Uh, And I've tried to source that with other police agencies, and I don't know where it's coming from. So if there's something there, it's new and it's not immediately visible to us. I'm not even sure it's visible to the defense at this point. There's been some complaints that the defense isn't getting all of the information that they that they're owed. And we should note that both have been denied bond as well. Everybody involved has been denied bond. Mm-hmm. Like there's no one who's being charged under this RICO case and the gang case has been allowed to stay out of jail. In part because at least one of the people who are uh who are um, uh, have been indicted hasn't yet been arrested. They can't find one of them. Um, prosecutors are suggesting that the gang may be uh, threatening witnesses, and as long as there are still alleged gang members who aren't in jail, that 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 accusation may have some credibility. Well, that's, let's stop there for a moment because I want to focus on that, Judge uh, George, because there was uh, reports that there was a witness that is now, I believe, in protective custody because there was yeah. a, leak, a leaked document that got out right. that one of the, one of the I guess, hip-hop entertainment websites or, or, or entertainment website had, and they actually mentioned this individual's name. They did. Um, and I'm not going to, but... No, no, you're uh, not. Yeah. <laughs> the uh there was it was actually a local sort of uh gossip website um appears to have gotten a document and the, like the picture is wrinkly mm-hmm. so it looks like something someone printed out maybe it was something that one of the defendants themselves um took a picture of and sent it to someone um there's a question in court about whether or not it came directly from the shared drive folder that prosecutors use to share documents with the defense. Anyway, this the this document described how one of a a YSL gang member who isn't indicted in this indictment mm-hmm. uh, was telling police that he was present with uh, Jeffrey Williams with Young Thug when Williams allegedly rented the vehicle that was used in a drive-by shooting that was a murder that sent off this massive gang war. And that was back in 2012, allegedly? Uh, 2015. 2015. Actually. 2015. Um, that, uh, like, Williams is accused of, of running a car that was used to kill uh, a man named Donovan Thomas, who was a blood gang member, like, associated with the Inglewoods Bloods of uh, Los Angeles, mm-hmm. but a local guy. And that murder split the city's bloods gangs into two factions that had been shooting at each other ever since. 
George, the legal issues, uh, woes might be a better word, uh, for Jeffrey Williams, Young Thug, they just keep continuing because just a few weeks ago, um, he was there were some new charges, new drug charges, including also possession of a firearm, doing the commission of a felony, possession of a machine gun as well. That's the switch. That's that Glock that they found in his house. Like, So there's a, a relatively cheap um, modification that you can make to a handgun that will allow it to fire like a machine gun, and it's called a switch. Um, it's an auto sear. You basically replace one part on, on a handgun, and then you pull the trigger and it fires automatically like a, like a machine gun. Mm-hmm. They are incredibly dangerous. Um, they're almost a guarantee in an actual shootout that you're going to miss your target and shoot someone else. Um, and possession of a machine gun is, it's not just a state crime, but it is a, a very clear federal crime with a, a 10-year penalty associated with it. So, George, where are we now with this? Are prosecutors still just trying to get more evidence, get more witnesses before this can, can go to trial? Where are we? So, uh, like, I'm certain that they're still looking for evidence and witnesses, Um the part of this is like at what point like an indictment with nearly two dozen people starts to crack some of the folks like down the chain um the question is whether or not there are going to be more uh more witnesses that are going to be people who are going to plead guilty and looking for a lighter sentence who have already been indicted who will testify against the other gang members it's why this this gossip website that displayed the name of this potential witness is so harmful and so challenging. Um, Because frankly, uh, like there's a real concern that that person is going to, or his family is going to be hurt. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's like the, the court case is due to begin in early January. Um, I would be surprised if it actually does uh, in part because there's some like issues happening in court where, the prosecutors have had trouble sharing all of the evidence that they have with defense attorneys. And when this all this started, Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis, and there was a big press conference and talked about how the YSL and then their associates, through their lens, was probably responsible for a high percentage of the violent crime in the Atlanta area. Now, some folks took took caution with that and they were like really because that percentage was high uh, i'm one of them yeah but they but, yeah go ahead no it's just so she said what she was saying was that gang violence was responsible for something like 80 mm-hmm. percent of violent crime in the city of atlanta and i have been looking for substantiation for that statement for months now and i've yet to get it um I mean, I've asked directly, like, for, from the Fulton County District Attorney's Office and Police Department, like, justify that number, and I, I haven't gotten it yet. I'm, I'm not unconvinced, though, that a lot of violent crime is gang-related. And, frankly, I'm, you know, the, the amount of violent crime that's been happening in the city since this indictment has fallen, like, there was... Like in the months just preceding the indictment, there had been this massive spike, even over and above everything else that we'd been seeing in the years previous. Um, and it fell in the months afterwards. And I think in part because Atlanta street gangs saw what was happening to Jeffrey Williams as a cautionary tale. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how long that lasts. The, uh, the factors, the sort of influences that create violent crime in Atlanta are still there. Like, I'm not sure one indictment is enough to change, mm-hmm. like, all of the other things that are going on. And, George, I want to focus on something else that may or may not be directly related with this case, but we've seen it in other cases, and that is the use of rap lyrics. Now, we know that Georgia Representative Hank Johnson is behind legislation that, in a sense, would protect artists and from their lyrics being used against them in a court of law. What do you make of that? Well, one, I, I owe Hank Johnson a call. Like, cause I, I want to get a set. I have tremendous respect for him. 
And so I want to give him the benefit of the doubt that he's coming from a place that makes sense. That said, um, I like some of the lyrics that Fonnie Willis's team wants to use in this case. Mm-hmm. Like I can see how they connect to an actual act of violence. And some of the lyrics that they're talking about are questionable mm-hmm. where I'm looking at that. Like, why is this, why would you even cite this? Like, um, in either case, I would figure a jury would look at it and make a make an intelligent judgment. But if they, but if a jury never sees it, you never know. Uh, like what Hank Johnson is proposing is that uh, lyrics, you know, he's not. I I don't believe that he's proposing a complete bar to the use of lyrics. Mm-hmm. Only an additional layer of judicial review when artistic material is being used as evidence in a criminal case. Um, and, you know, I, I think and, there's and, merit to it, at the very least, having that discussion. And I think we should note, too, I believe this is for federal cases as well. They're, they're focusing right. on federal cases. And also, look, in, in that indictment, and you went through it, there's there are also, you know, screenshots of social media accounts uh, of some of these folks associated with YSL and you know look everybody <laughs> I don't need to tell you about what folks do on social media and, and and the consequences that can come after that you know that is evident that you can't deny the things like so I pulled a lot of get of uh, jail telephone calls like amazingly enough a call a phone call made in jail uh, when it's not from a contraband cell phone is uh, is a public record like something that I can listen to and so I've been listening to a lot of jail calls and a lot of folks who are involved with street life and are in jail awaiting trial are really intensely interested and concerned with their social media presence. It's shocking what people will put on social media, what people will say in their Instagram page. Mm-hmm. One of like the fellow that is uh, like so, uh, purportedly turning state's evidence Um his girlfriend, tremendously interesting story there. His girlfriend, it was a South Fulton police officer. And when he was arrested in October, she attempted to go into the property room, allegedly, and erase his social media profiles because there was apparently, like, you know, evidence of crimes mm-hmm. in his social media. Uh, the um folks if you are thinking about committing crimes don't tell people on instagram about it yeah that would that yeah i I would say that you know that's good sound advice of course you could not commit the crime too but you know would be better like (laughs) don't don't commit crimes but if you're gonna commit crimes like don't tweet about it before you do it (laughs) i'm not laughing well i am laughing but it just it just i don't know I'm in auntie mode. It's like, what are you doing? Um, all right. So, George, what are the streets saying about all of this? Uh, you know, uh, I- yeah, there's so there's a lot of incredulity about um, like uh, the streets in two camps. Like they're looking at what's come out and they're like, OK, I think William, some people are like, yeah, Williams is fried. But they're wondering about everybody else. Like mm-hmm. who's going to turn who's going to turn state's evidence like for whom the tar- which which people have weaker charges than others like really the conversation is about who's next because Fonnie Willis has said uh, there are more indictments coming of other street gangs and I've got my eye on a few mm-hmm. right now as it stands um I'm watching some cases very carefully to see whether or not it turns into a larger indictment uh there was a there was a like a 200 count indictment of a gang that was breaking into uh, homes in North Atlanta and Sandy Springs. Yes, a lot of celebrity, a lot of celebrity homes. Yes, that's and that might be one of them. But there are others that are uh, active and like there's been a chilling effect. Like that much is clear. Like the conversation is about how do you not get swept up into this? Mm -hmm. Um, The uh, it's interesting to watch. Yeah, and that is another conversation that we will actually be having uh, next week when we talk about, uh, we're going to have a special theme show that talks about 
criminal violence here in Atlanta. We're also going to focus on the youth. And we should note, too, that, you know, the prosecution, Fonnie Willis's office is saying, look, we believe that Young Thug and, and YSL Associates could be responsible for more than 50 murders and just maybe even hundreds of gun violence. That's according to the Fulton County District Attorney's Office. Yep. That's, that's a lot, George. That's a lot. And I was incredulous about it, but then I started going through the numbers and it's not, it might be that, like it could be that high. Um, if we're going to talk about youth violence and youth crime in particular, uh, there, there are two things to keep in mind. Like something fundamentally broke during the pandemic in ways that changed uh, the kind of crimes that young people are committing and where they are. And the other thing is that Fulton County's defects, their uh, family and child services uh, division is falling apart. Um, there is a massive problem that needs to be discussed in Atlanta about what happens mm -hmm. when you have a situation of child abuse or delinquency um, because those calls aren't getting answered right now. Yeah, and we will attempt to address all of this, and that's coming up next week on Closer Look. Atlanta-based journalist George Chidi, as always, continuing to cover this. I appreciate you taking the time. appreciate you bringing the information. Stay on top of it for us. We appreciate it. Always. Thank you. And that's it for this edition of Closer Look. Our producers are LaShawn Hudson, Daniel Razel, and Pat St. Clair. Our summer intern is Lennox Johnson. Our engineer is Kevin Rinker. And a reminder to let us know your thoughts on today's program or any other. You all send me an email, as you usually do, rose at wabe.org. And if you missed any of today's program, it is always online at wabe.org slash Closer Look. You can also listen to Closer Look weeknights at 7 p.m. as well as in our podcast. So subscribe to Closer Look wherever you like. And a programming note, there will be a special, some special programming tomorrow during 1 o'clock as we look at how to talk to kids about race and racism. It's a special, not from us, but a special. So check it out. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Local, state, national politics. WABE and NPR have the coverage you need. I'm Jim Burris, host of WABE's All Things Considered. Whether it's on the air at 90.1, streaming online, or connecting through our mobile app, WABE keeps you on top of election 2024 in what's sure to be a pivotal year in politics. And for candidates and ballot information, visit our election hub at wabe.org election 2024.